Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma to the Job Seekers Podcast. Job Seekers Podcast. Welcome to the very first Let's Eat Grandma Job Seekers Podcast, where we dissect the minds of brilliant HR professionals and also other job seekers. The basic purpose of this is to spread the success to other job seekers and help them put their best foot forward. So today we have a real rock star, Jordan Weber, who is a talent acquisitions manager for Currency. Today, I'm really proud to bring her on. She's a former classmate of mine and all around badass and also a producer for Top Recruiter, um, a really cool TV show we'll get into. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I remember back in the days at Cornell, us uh, working in the kitchen together and now we're in very different situations. Just a little background, Jordan and I actually worked in a prep kitchen um, in a banquets kitchen on a campus, and I was responsible for flipping waffles, and <laughs> Jordan was my supervisor. and made Prime sure rib did. girl. Yes. she was, I did the prime rib. <laughs> she, she did a great job cutting up those prime ribs. And now, we, now we're both in the recruiting, HR, job search, job seeker market. A little different. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but I will say that I felt like I was able to get discipline from my days as a prep cook. So you got to spin everything in a positive way, right? 100%. Teaches you to be a people person. It's, it's definitely only helped me, I think. Cool. So you just got off the plane from Europe. Is that what the deal is? I did about two days ago. Um, a little jet lag still, to be honest, but definitely was worth it. It was a crazy, fun, and very inspiring experience that's great and which country did you just come from so i flew out of london because we filmed the top recruiter series in uh, france and london um we filmed in a chateau in france which is like a real world situation with 30 of the most influential recruiter really disruptors in the whole country um, and europe as well and then we went to London and filmed in the Painted Hall for the final scene where they had James Caan, who's kind of like the uh, the Kevin O'Leary of England, who was the final judge, and he was going to invest money in the winning idea. So it was it was a whirlwind, but uh, definitely enlightening experience. That's incredible. And is this something that's already come out, or is this something we have to wait for in anticipation? Sure. You have to wait. Unfortunately, trust me, I want to see it more than anybody. There's been four seasons before this, Top Recruiter 1 through 4, and then this was Top Recruiter Season 5, which I hear is like, I don't want to say an upgrade because I'm biased because I was only on this one, but everybody said this one is like the one to beat because it was international before it was only in Miami. Okay. And this one was, uh, was four contestants, two from Europe and two from North America. So it's just like totally different um, diversity. And with that comes better ideas because mm-hmm. you have, you know, different perspectives. And uh, yeah, six months, I've, I'm thinking that's when post-production will be done. And so for those listeners out there who don't have an understanding of what Top Recruiter is, if you can just give a quick lowdown of the premise of the show. Sure. So it. Basically, I mean, I'm sure you've seen Top Chef or Top Model, something like that, a competition show where someone wins um, mm-hmm. for the best in their industry. This one is kind of, is like that, but it's also throw in Shark Tank, throw in The Apprentice, throw in Real World because they're all living together. And we did a lot of behind the scenes filming as well. Okay. Um, so you have, you know, the, the real business venture capital side of it because they had to present business plans. 
you also have the apprentice because most of the people there were advisors to the contestant. So you get a lot of good advice by watching it from the mentors of the contestant. Ah. And then, um, like I said, you know, with throw 30 recruiters in the chateau, you're going to have really interesting behind the scenes footage because everybody's a people person. So, but it was really fun, like all positive for sure. That's awesome. Very good. I'm sure it was a great learning experience, as you mentioned. So yeah, now I want to kind of like shift the focus on what you do at Currency, which is where you're a talent acquisitions manager. And the basic premise of the show is to really give other job seekers out there an opportunity to learn and kind of pick the brains of HR professionals. So let's kind of get an idea of what you do at Currency and um, kind of what your day to day looks like. Sure. So I'll tell a, a tiny little story first, because how I became the hiring manager or director of recruitment, whatever you want to call me for this company, is kind of, I think, the most important takeaway for job seekers, because I only applied to one job when I was in college, and it was to do financial sales at this company, at Currency. Um, I wanted to go into finance, but I didn't want to do the investment banking New York scene, because it's very um, particular to a certain type of person. I like the West Coast. So I found this finance company. When you say particular LA. to a type of person, you mean the guy mm-hmm. who wants to work 80 to 100 hours a week and just really. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. Like you, <laughs> exactly. have, to, you have to be that type of person to survive. And that's, I knew that wasn't for me. I wanted something a little more um, creative, innovative, um, not so rigid. So I found this company. It was like best of both worlds for me. Um, it was finance, but also tech startup feel while still learning a lot and doing, you know, highly intellectual work and talking to people because it was sales. So came here fresh out of college, wide eyed, never lived on the West Coast. And three weeks into my job in financial sales, I was doing well. I closed a couple of deals, but our company released a tech tool. We're only 20 people back then. And overnight, the business coming in just exploded. And my partner said, we need somebody to start hiring now. So I was like, that sounds like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And without knowing anything about recruiting, just volunteered. I was like, I want to try that. And basically had to start a job. I had a great mentor um, who coached me in leadership and sales and recruiting, but I was running the department, even though I was new. Mm. And um, that's the takeaway. Is like Sometimes you have to trust your intuition and just say yes to an experience and figure it out when you get there. I'm not saying apply to be a VP of finance if it's your first entry-level job, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, don't underestimate yourself when you're applying to jobs because a lot of people learn on the job. Do you feel like that's like the direction you want to head in for the rest of your life? I mean, 100%. And being on top recruiter further solidified that for me is like everybody who was there, I felt was like just like me. And I was like, that's so random because... I didn't even plan to be a recruiter. I just fell into it. And then speaking to them, it was kind of the same thing. Um, so if you, you have to look at yourself and what motivates you, I'm motivated by people. Um, so this was a perfect job for me. If you're money, if you're money motivated, then sales is perfect for you. Mm-hmm. If you're learning motivated, you know, hone your craft. And if you're an engineer, you know, you like to put things together. Mm-hmm. So you have to find what motivates you and then align your career with that wonderful piece of advice and it's it's something that's been said before but cannot be said enough i don't think um especially when there are so many frustrated job seekers out there who do not like their job you know i face friends and family every single 
every single week who tell me that they're not happy with where they are and they're not motivated. So yeah. how can you expect? I almost to... feel guilty when I say to my friends, I, I love my job. I'll yeah. be you know, <laughs> hanging out with my friends and I'll be complaining about their bosses or the, if they had to stay late last night or whatever. And I'm like, uh, this is one thing that I won't complain about because I love my job. So it's very rare. That's but, awesome. You know, everybody can find that if they try. Yeah. And I'm, I'm following it in LinkedIn, obviously, and it, it really shows how you're you're really proud of your job and kind of what you do. And it's the passion really comes off. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you in the first place. So very, very wonderful. Now, yeah, LinkedIn's awesome. LinkedIn is beautiful, as a side note. <laughs> so what's the recruiting process look like in your firm? What's kind of the step from beginning to finish when you're finding the perfect candidate for your job? Sure. So we're probably a little different. I mostly hire financial sales, the same role that I started in. And then sometimes I'll have to hire an operational position like marketing or accounting that pops up. And those recruiting processes are a little different. But most applicants come to us. We do send some in-mails. You know, I'm sure all of you listeners out there have gotten you know, On LinkedIn. blasted by LinkedIn. You have recruiters sending you messages to recruit you. But we do a very targeted search. We don't send it out to just anybody um, because we really want to find the right person for the company. Um, and then after you apply or we contact you and you say you want to get on the phone with us, we'll do a first-round phone interview, casual meet-and-greet type of thing, figure out who you are, what motivates you. Second round is a, is a little harder. That would be on Skype or in person if you're local. I don't discriminate if you're local or not because I took this job from halfway across the country. So make sure if somebody, if a job uh, or a hiring manager says to you, you have to come in person, ask about Skype. That's always a good option. Okay. That involves a case study for us. Just going to interrupt really quickly because this is a question I get a lot um, from people Mm -hmm. as I'm doing their resumes. You don't discriminate on, you know, the fact that they're local, but how do you feel when people put in their resumes that they're living in a place and it's not necessarily where they live now, but they're planning on it or maybe a relative lives there. That's why we don't discriminate against location. Um, probably 70% of my hires are not local. They move for the job. I think the biggest disadvantage is for them, actually, not for us, because they can't come in and see the office and feel the vibe. And I do think if you're local, definitely go in person. It gives you an advantage. Um, but I think it, it is a mistake if recruiters don't want to take a resume that's not local. That's very good because, yeah, like every single, every once in a while, actually, I would say I get people who they're just not exactly sure if it's the right decision. They're like, oh, I'm actually, I'm applying to a city outside the one I'm at right now. What should I do? So it's it's good to hear that from somebody who's actually making the decisions. Yeah. Cool. So then what's what happens next in the interview process? Sure. Final step is talking to the person who would actually be their boss. Um, so that could be a sales manager, whoever would be um, over them, because at the end of the day, that's who you're working with every day. So we want to make sure that's a fit. And I or my other recruiters can gauge that to a certain extent. Hopefully we're good at it. Mm-hmm. But um, it, the chemistry there really has to be there. So three rounds, mostly personality, some technical, and then talking to an upper exec. It seems like it's very well thought out strategy when it comes taking to taking time <laughs> exactly yeah because it's 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 hard to just have one conversation i think with a person and 
then really judge if they're going to be a good fit for the company. So that's why I really appreciate companies that take the time to get to know people on a deeper level. And you have to, yeah. Mm hmm. And ultimately, I think those are the companies that end up finding the better fits and they end up retaining their employees longer. So so that's definitely good in you guys. What's the ideal candidate look like for you? Who do you want to hire the most? Hmm. I have three things that I look for. And I say this mostly to the sales person, but it can be applied to any anybody. Number one is intelligence because... I think, actually, if you took Bruce Tracy's class at uh, Cornell, his HR class, he says that is the number one predictor of success in a job. And that's just his intelligence. Um, yeah. An uh, in intellectual job. So not like when we were cutting prime rib, right? It probably didn't matter as much. But for if you're doing something um, like most of the jobs out there, intelligence is number one. And you can't teach that. Then number two is work ethic. That you can not teach, but you can motivate. Because okay. if you're the smartest person in the room, but you're lazy, it does not matter. You know, someone will beat you out. So if you can work both hard and smart, that is a killer combo, and we definitely need that. We want people who want to work hard. Um, and then number three is coachability. So if you are around a bunch of mentors and you could be taking notes and listening and nodding your head, that's great. That's not being coachable. Being coachable is taking that, absorbing it, and then applying it every day to what you're doing. Okay. And uh, I think that's the number one thing I've seen millennials struggling, struggling with um, because we're, we've, we're used to being told that we're right about things that maybe we're not always right about. And you have to humble yourself and, um, and learn from the people above you because they definitely have experience and experience with, you know, your motivation mixed together will push you farther. So those three things I think are very valuable for a lot of people it's it's being able to work work smarter being able to work hard and coachability the the thing about coachability is how can you really show that in an interview i mean with with working smarter you can you know show things in your resume like you you made such and such gpa you you know came up with these processes and procedures but i think something like coachability might be a little bit hard so for That's you, so interesting yeah. because I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head is that most people want to show, I innovated this. I started this club. I was captain of this team. Um, but that could potentially say to the person you're talking to that you might be uh, too much of a self-starter to want to work for someone. Is that mm. the job that you're applying for? That could be a potential red flag. So I'm more, when I'm interviewing, looking for red flags of not being coachable because it's hard to say, like, oh, yeah, I love being led. Um, but if you say, like, you know, my form- I hate- didn't like my former boss, or you're complaining a lot about um, your past job or yeah. your past boss, even if it's true, um, that's something that could show that, okay, maybe you're not open to, uh, to someone being above you and learning from them. Something really good to bring up in your interviews, uh, whether subtly or um, slyly, is, Throw in something about a leader or coach or mentor or professor that you've had and how they've influenced you and what you learned from them because that will show coachability and it will also show that you're somebody who um, wants and is open to advice and can work with the team. I love that because honestly, that's not any, that's not something I've 
thought about and really told people as you know I'm working with them on like their resumes and and even giving them advice on interviews and things like that. But it's something so valuable for a lot of recruiters out there because as a supervisor, who wants to work with somebody who is completely independent and not going to be a good team person? So you talked about red flags earlier, um, and that was a red flag for somebody who might be kind of strong headed like that. What are some other red flags when it comes to interviews for candidates you may not want to hire? Sure. So, I mean, there are a lot, obviously, um, and it depends on the job you're going for. So if I'm interviewing a salesperson and, for example, a lot of, a lot of millennials, which is mostly who I'm interviewing, will say, oh, I'm not, money, I'm not motivated by money. I'm just motivated by learning. Um, but if you're going for a sales position where your job is to make money for the company, even if you think it's much better to present yourself in a light, in that more of a an altruistic, save the world type of light, because mm-hmm. everybody likes people like that, and we need people like that, sales isn't the right fit for that. For example, and if I'm trying to hire an accountant, and they say, oh yeah, I really like to talk to people all day, I'm a people person, but your job is really to be crunching numbers, and I worry that that job won't be right for you. So align it, align it, your pitch to the job, and if you're applying for the right jobs, it should be aligned kind of already. Um, then some basic red flags that could apply to any job would be, I mentioned it a little, but t- speaking negatively about your past company or um, past experiences, yeah. over-inflating yourself. Everyone can tell, you know, when when somebody's embellishing on on what they've done. And my biggest piece of advice is just be honest, because if you are being honest in your interview, obviously presenting yourself in the best positive light, um, you will get the right job because you don't want to talk your way into a job that's not right for you. That's very good. And on the note of honesty, do you ever ask those really hard hitting questions? Like, for example, what are your biggest weaknesses? What's the time you failed? Those types of things. Sure. I don't ask the weakness question because I don't think anybody's ever honest when they answer it. (laughs) Myself (laughs) included. I mean, there's a whole office episode about um, turning your positive, yeah. your negative into a positive. So yeah. everyone knows that trick. Yeah, Sometimes I'll, I used to say, what's your biggest weakness and don't turn it into a positive. And then it has an answer to that. <laughs> um, but I, I do often ask, what's, what's been the biggest failure of your life? And I my sometimes God. I'll preface it like, that's a little that's a little hard. But then my follow-up question is, what's the biggest win? Mm-hmm. So you, it's really just to gauge honesty. And um, also, there's nothing better than a comeback story. Oh, yeah. And everybody failed. So I failed, me interviewing you, I'll understand that and empathize with it. Yeah, that's huge. I think a question, sometimes when I'm hiring writers for my company, I'll ask, like, what's a time when you have not met somebody's expectations and then redeemed yourself? That's a good one. And steal it. Yeah, you can totally steal that. I don't know when I thought about it. But it's good because it really gives me an opportunity to see if somebody has those qualities about them that they're they're willing to really um see like room for improvement and really kick themselves into gear and um, i'll find some of the best people that way is by really finding out those qualities so so i think those are really really valid questions i think it's something that hr professionals should be asking candidates and i don't think it's it's and if they don't ask bring it up as a, as a job seeker, bring it up um, because you can't, you can't let the interviewer leave the interview. 
the best people I interview turn it around on me, and uh. I'm cognizant of it, so I'll try to turn it around. But if they're not asking you questions that you feel are presenting you in the best light, you can always direct it to sort of ask a question to yourself. So you mean as if, like, you could kind of spin the question in a way that will give you that kind of story or or in another so way? let's say you, you, you know you have this, like, great talent. You're waiting for them to ask you, like, your biggest wing or your best quality so you can bring it up and they're just not bringing it up you can answer another question and then direct it in that way i like that a lot and i think it makes a lot of sense and it's also similar to you know the very end where an interviewer will ask something like are there any questions you have for me and things like that what type of what type of questions do you think really show somebody's proactive and kind of really comes off as positive sure so Always do research on the company. Um, if you say, no, I don't have any questions, that is a huge red flag. That probably means, unless we had the most informative interview ever, means that you weren't listening or mm-hmm. you were didn't do your research. Um, so always have some questions. Interviewers like when you ask about your, that yourself, like when people say to me, like, why did you choose currency? Because that's another way of them saying, what's the best thing about the company or what do you like about the company? But it also makes the interviewer feel a little more human. Oh yeah, which is good for you. Um, they'll like you more, which is important when <laughs> when interviewing. What either you don't want to admit that or not. We're supposed to be objective, but you you want to work with people that you like. Um, and other good questions like ask digger dig deeper into the job itself and the role. If you just ask about the company culture and outings and everything, I think that you just want to come for the company. But I want to know that you're going to be the best person at your role, and that shows your interest in the, in your actual day-to-day function. That's a very, very good response. And it's for, for me, as I've interviewed with companies, it's something that I wonder. It's like, how much of this actually makes a difference? And I think it really does. Um, when I was on this side of the table interviewing other people for, you know, people in my company, I always, and, and everyone should do this, you know, ask the candidate, do you have any questions for me? And it's it's always the same thing. You know, the ones who really give a really well thought out question like you're going to win me over um you're going to really make me think about um you being a good fit for the company so um i think it's huge there are people who've won me over when the first half of the interview i i was leaning on the no side and then on the questions they turn me around all the time yeah it's great and if you can if i can talk about myself in it if i can get excited um it's like you said it's we're human and we're not supposed to be emotional we're supposed to be objective as possible but if i can get talking about my passions and things like that whether on purpose or by accident um i'm gonna end up maybe on a subconscious level liking somebody a little bit more than i would have definitely it's all about bonding and rapport that's um probably my best interviews from my side were when i could relate to the person in a certain way and that could have been apparent when i saw their resume like oh you went to this school yeah um i i played field hockey there or something like that but you can do that to the interviewer too. Do some research. Look at their LinkedIn. Don't be too obvious about it, like <laughs> reading off their resume to them. But um, know some little things that you could bring up that yeah, will help like, you bond. I saw that you actually own four cats. One is called Milo. Can you tell me about them? <laughs> so, like, maybe not. I'm looking like, at your Facebook picture now. Yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> I actually do think one time I did get a Facebook friend. No. 
it was either Facebook or LinkedIn. I can't, I may have been Facebook, um, a request from somebody who I was about to interview and it, it was kind of, kind of creepy. I didn't really like it. Too soon. Yeah. It, I've had people follow me on Instagram. I'm just like, why are you doing that? <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> I agree. It's, it's a yeah. little, it's a little try hard, but, um, that's kind of the art of interviewing. It's like you, you really do kind of want to try hard in your job search process, but you don't want to mm-hmm. come off as a dry hard. So it's kind of that fine line. Yeah. I would say until you get the offer, when you have the offer from the recruiter or mm-hmm. the manager, once you, ha- once you know that they are offering you the job, then that's when you friend. Um, but in the meantime, ev- everybody on LinkedIn can see when you look at somebody's profile, look at the recruiter's profile after every interview. Uh, um, because then you keep popping up in their mind and recruiters uh, are definitely always checking that list, but don't friend them yet. Yeah. Okay. That's huge. I always feel a little bit weird whenever I'm looking at people's LinkedIn's. I don't know, because I, I know I'm going to pop up. My face is going to pop up on their feed. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's also good on that, maybe even a subconscious level, like you mentioned. So I think it's good. So yeah, I think we yeah. have a very lean back culture as millennials. Yeah. And we don't, you know, we don't friend people on Facebook first. We don't want to follow you first. Where the other generations, they don't care. Like, think about your your parents on Facebook. I have to constantly tell my dad, like, don't like everything. Like, <laughs> stop, like, be selective a little bit, but, but that's not the, the culture at all. And I think on LinkedIn, since it is professional and a little older crowd, be proactive. Post things, yeah. like everything that you like. Um, there's no There's no shame on LinkedIn. Yeah. As long as it's, it's relevant to your profession. Yeah, exactly. And it, we're going to have a completely different podcast on the art of LinkedIn, um, you know, job syncing on LinkedIn and things like that. Uh, but I do have a question specifically for you, and that's mm-hmm. how much of your recruiting process goes into LinkedIn? Um, what do you mean goes into? Out of all the candidates you actually end up interviewing, how many would you say come from LinkedIn percentage-wise? Probably 20%. Uh, We do have, so if you're a recruiter on LinkedIn, you have a special account where you can search people, and that's how you get those messages. Job seekers, they find you by searching keywords. Um, Mm. But the influence is is greater than that 20% of people that we find or apply on LinkedIn because there's a lot of communication, there's a lot of posting. I always look at someone's LinkedIn when I interview them. So it's, it's a must. Okay. Really, really do like to dig into LinkedIn because it's something that I get asked every single day. It's like, how much of this actually matters? And I think I'll find actually with some of the older people, they don't realize as much how valuable social media is playing into the recruiting process. And I think I, you, you may see differently, but I think that the, those in their, you know, early thirties, they get it. Um, I think it's something that we can teach people and it's something that we can show. It's like, Hey, you should really focus on, you know, having a good LinkedIn profile picture on, you know, rewriting your summary, rewriting your descriptions to where it makes, it makes sense for somebody to want to hire you. So Mm -hmm. I think it's big and it's essential. It's essential. Exactly. So I think it's great to hear from you, somebody who actually does this for a living, um, how important that is. Yeah, and I'll say probably 50% of my opportunities outside of my job here, like Mm -hmm. top recruiter um, connections that I've made have come from LinkedIn. I was contacted to be on top recruiter by someone messaging me on LinkedIn. 
and I put in a lot of legwork to get that visibility, but it can really take your career to the next level for sure. Great. Good to, good advice for me personally too. I like to hover on LinkedIn every once in a while as well. Great. But yeah, especially with your with resume writing service. <laughs> True. Well, as we're wrapping up here, I have a few really quick one-off questions. Um, I'll just fire these quickly at you. Um, what's the sure. one thing you wish you could tell every candidate before the interview? Be honest. Cool. Be honest. Do you think thank you notes are appropriate and how much do they really matter? If you really bonded with the person and it's very genuine and you're specific in the letter, yes. If not, I'd say only 5% of the time that case, every other case, no. Thank you, email. Okay, great. Cold emails, do you ever get cold emails from people and do you ever actually get them in interview? Yeah, all the time. I love when people email me. Most recruiters want to interview people. They're paid to hire people. So if you're emailing me, I don't have to find you on LinkedIn. Perfect. Great. Very good. Yeah. Cold emails are, it's kind of a focus on our company um, versus like the more traditional cover letter, but it's, it's something that people ask all the time when they're kind of looking into our services. So that's always good to hear. The last question I have for you is what is your spirit animal? And I'm giving everyone the opportunity to kind of guess right now what they think Jordan's spirit animal is. And you're going to tell me in three seconds what that is. Okay. One, two, three, <laughs> dolphin. See, I was not getting dolphin. Um, oh, but actually, man. no. You know what? The more I think about it, the more that actually makes sense. You are a dolphin. They might be a little more peppy than me. I'm, maybe I'm like a, a baby dolphin. Who's just learning? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? In the HR recruiter world, we need more dolphins out there like you. So that's always. Oh, thank you. Always What's a- yours, Chris? Before we leave. Um, okay, I, I stand by this, and I'm very passionate about this answer. But my spirit animal is a dog. I a dog. It's a dog, straight up. Okay. I I I bond with dogs like no other person. I just I feel like they get me. Um, I feel like I am a dog sometimes. <laughs> I'm always happy to see people. And I just get excited for no reason whatsoever sometimes. So, um, that's good. Yeah. I, I'm a dog person, not a cat person. So that, that works with me. Good. Good. I'm glad we bond on this. I think it's, it's very important to talk about. <laughs> yeah, cool. for sure. All right, Jordan. Well, you have been amazing. You've been a rock star. And seriously, thank you for taking the time to um, speak with me and really help other people who are out there, you know, looking for jobs. You know, they may be struggling, they may be. I'm unsure of what's coming next, but I think this interview really is going to help a lot of people. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you for signing up. You're really doing them a lot of help. So we all appreciate you too, Chris. Cool. All right, Jordan, will you take care? I'll talk to you soon. You too. Bye.